Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 195. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by the Angel Brothers, author and speaker Bobby, and Colby instructor Dan. Taking advantage of this family reunion of sorts, our conversation finds a focus on how the human soul is meant for greatness. Whether this comes up in video games, running marathons, or whatever else, we experience the call toward adventure and fellowship. Even if you're not an angel, we're glad that you're with us. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic. And this is Steven, homeschooling father of five and chief homeschooling officer for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. Greetings from the deep freeze. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. We're enjoying a little bit of uh, the the cold here. Reminds me of my Wisconsin origins, even though we're not supposed to have much of this here in Arkansas. But <laughs> a couple of days isn't bad. Yeah, here too. It's it's very very cold here. It has been for the past few days, and I think it's supposed to maybe warm up a little bit. And by the time this episode airs, it's going to be well in the rearview mirror. But for the time being, it's quite the event here for us. We're not really prepared for this sort of weather. It does happen maybe once a year, but uh, I'll be glad when this one is behind us. So yeah. Today we're visiting with a pair of brothers, Bobby Angel, who was our guest on episode one forty six, and his brother Dan, who teaches for Colby. Hi guys. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. It's nice to see you again, Bobby, and meet you, Dan. We like to feature our Colby instructors when we can. So let's start there. Dan, would you tell us about yourself, your background, your Colby connection, that sort of thing? Yeah, of course. Um, I imagine we'll get more to the earlier stages of life later as Bob and I chat a bit more. Um, So to skip ahead a little bit, um, I know last podcast with him, you kind of heard his story as well, but um, we have kind of a similar parallel story in a lot of ways, which is funny. Um, But I went to college, uh, born in St. Pete, Florida. Um, And again, we'll get more to family stuff later, I'm sure. Um, But went to college at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Um, And then after four years there, ended up in the seminary myself uh, for five years total. Um, and we can have a whole nother podcast about discernments and journeys that that takes us because uh, I was in seminary for a year and a half and then discerned out for a year and then went back in. So total of five years. Um, and then my ultimate discernment out part of that was um, to follow uh, the woman who is now my wife uh, to St. Louis. Um, she was doing her residency there about to start that. So I went out there. Um, post-seminary, uh, became a youth minister up there in St. Louis for the three years that we were there. Uh, in the midst of that time, uh, we got married. Um, and then after her residency was done, we made our way back to Florida, where we're both from. Um, and then I started teaching at a brick-and-mortar high school, teaching theology to high schoolers. Um, and that was just such a blessing and such a fantastic time and time of real growth for me as well. Um to kind of dive deeper into my faith in a different way of uh, that capacity to teach it Um, and taught probably at least four or five different courses throughout my four years there. Uh, So really got the plethora from freshmen to seniors I was able to teach. Um, And then at the end of this past academic year, it was just really on our hearts that um, it was time for me to kind of step back from kind of the teaching full-time in person Um, And then that's when I made my transition here to Colby Academy. So this is my first year, um, you know, beginning the spring semester here uh, at Colby. So it's been great. My wife and I, we have two kids and one on the way. So we have a three-year-old boy, uh, about a year and a half-year-old daughter. And then our third is due in April. Beautiful. What what are you teaching for Colby? Uh, Seniors. I'm teaching morality, church history three. Okay. When you were teaching in, in the high school, would you have seniors whom you'd had as students their freshman year? Would you see them kind of come full circle or or at least further down their um, development? I did. I had a pretty unique journey that doesn't really happen. So I started off teaching freshmen my first year. And then after that, they moved me to juniors my second year. And I did that for two years. So 
the freshmen that I had that first year, I had them again as juniors. And then my final year, I taught juniors and seniors. So I got to some of them I got to teach through and the our senior level was by semester. So some of them I taught four classes, uh, the select the select few that I had for four separate theology classes throughout high school. Got to know them quite well. Yeah, unique experience and also kind of a nice bookend time frame for me to leave after those four years because I got to really see those students through. And, and I would think you would be very much a mentor to them, at accompanying them through that formative time. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. And my first two years is there. I also worked in the campus ministry department. So I was also very privileged to be able to work and uh, participate in all the retreats and other discipleship groups that we have on campus. We had RCIA on campus that I was heavily involved in as well. So yeah, for many of them, it was much more than just in the classroom learning. Um, it was also that accompaniment and walking with them throughout their spiritual journey throughout. Which has so much importance just seeing their, their mentors who are teaching them these concepts, living them outside of outside of that context, I would think. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So the Colby subjects you're teaching now and and your in your teaching experience, what do you like? What do you like about that? And and for those who are like, oh, how do you even do that? How do you respond to that? <laughs> it is it is a challenging thing to teach in a lot of ways of just the the subject of theology of how broad it is. You know, we're never going to grasp the fullness of that truth. Um, but then in particular, what I taught for three of my years at uh, the high school that I was at, Jesuit High School in Tampa, um, I was able to teach the morality class there for three years, among other classes as well. And that's what I'm teaching now at Colby as well. So this is my fourth year teaching, you know, Catholic morality. And it's not what I ever foresaw myself teaching, uh, but I absolutely fell in love with it. And it's been a great challenge for myself, again, to dig deeper into it and to learn to a much deeper degree and reading the church documents and so forth of, you know, how to explain exactly what we believe and why, especially to high schoolers. And the school I was at was all boys. Um, so to teach, you know, morality to all boys, juniors in high school, um, and now to to have that challenge and privilege as well to our Colby seniors and some juniors as well that are in that class. And really just to to take that theology and that understanding and the depth of what we believe and who we are. Uh, but then to also give it that practical level of how do we actually live that out in the world? And what are the challenges that you all are facing day in and day out? That a lot of ways are the same. A lot of ways are very different than when we were growing up in, in their same situation. Um, so it's it's been a challenge and a joy to dig deeper into that aspect of morality and to be able to to bring it and teach it and, you know, have those really tough conversations, you know, that they in a lot of ways, you know, we're the only place so, along with their families that they'll really get the truth, you know, that they're not getting from the rest of the secular world. Yeah. Do you have some kind of common entry points to kind of get those conversations going where um, I would think probably, especially in, in today's climate, it, to kind of get to the point where you're able to have a conversation about that, there, there's some, uh, I guess, meeting them where they are and how do you find that point and, and then kind of go go beyond to where they're willing to continue the conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is just really being authentic myself um, and showing that I actually really care for them. Um, you know, as, as a person, as you know, you're not just my student, I'm not just your teacher that I really do want to see you get to heaven and become a saint and to grow in holiness and, you know, to grapple with those tough questions of what you're facing in life and those struggles and, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, especially at the high school level, um, where most of my time has, has been with youth ministry and teaching throughout these past decade or so now, I guess, in my life, um, you know, they're, they're able to sniff out really quickly when you're not being authentic and when you don't really care when, you know, you're just going through the motions. So I think really being authentic myself and again, sharing prudently, you know, sharing my own story with them and my own journeys and struggles and, um, they're really able to latch on and they're much more willing to open up, whether it be in, you know, in the classroom, just off to the side on a retreat. Um, so that's, you know, no magic formula or like thing to say necessarily. Right. But just kind of showing that and being relational in that way, you know? 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I would I would think you and Bobby have a lot of notes to compare from your um, similar teaching experiences from from Bobby's time teaching. Were those similar subjects that you taught Bobby when you were teaching in high school? I only taught junior year morality once, but it was to a batch that I already had as a freshman. Okay. So it was this uh, fun reunion of sorts where some guys think they know what to expect and they're just, oh, Mr. Angel, and they're going to just kind of <laughs> coast through and you're like, oh, a little different. I expect you to write like a junior, <laughs> not like a freshman anymore. And like, oh, Mr. Angel, what's the big deal? And so sometimes you get like the too familiar uh, sense amongst certain students. But uh, I think Dan and I come from the same, we're cut from the same cloth where at the end of the day, it's like, we want you to know Christ. Like we want you to um, be convicted and living in the truth outside of the classroom, like more than just spitting back the facts to get an A. Like, yes, take your studies seriously, but I want you to be a good human being underneath all of this. So we did compare some notes. Some were helpful. Some weren't helpful at all. And, and some of it's just like, you teach it how you're going to teach it. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the overlap that I find, I find interesting. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as our conversation progresses. There are a couple of Colby Cast episodes that come to mind as we we're kind of talking about um, the moral theology and 12th grade uh, curriculum that have, so I wanted to mention those and I'll mention them again. They are episode 179, Translation Tug of War with uh, Dr. Matthew Minard. He was talking about moral theology and the our Colby 12th grade curriculum came up during that conversation. There's a section of that episode that touches on that, as well as episode 148, Engage and Apply. Um, there's a section of that episode that where we discuss Colby's 12th grade offerings and the value of sticking with the Colby curriculum through the 12th grade year. I'll link those in our show notes so folks can check those out after this episode. All right. So Bobby, would you catch us up a bit and fill us in on what you've been up to and, and what you're up to now? I can't believe it's been a year. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, I, I was just on Colby cast like six months ago and you said no it was actually last February yeah. like oh so in that time we've had a baby and uh baby Benny who was born in June I have a new book out gaming and the heroic life with Ave Maria Press and that's on the topic of video games and discipleship can you can you live both and I really wrote it it's kind of the research is me search. Like I was writing in a way to my 17 year old self. And Dan is throughout the book, by the way, Dan is forever player. Number two, poor guy. I was Mario. He had to be Luigi. I was Wolverine of the X-Men. He had to be Cyclops like and onward. So Dan has cameo appearances throughout the book. Um, uh, I just really great response. So Part of it was writing to a young person who loves video games, uh, but is kind of unsure about God and faith and how does it all fit and to be a source of uh, evangelization to that, as well as a resource for parents and families where this might be a source of uh, contention or stress. And so how do you approach the subject as, um, you know, where you can hear each other? And not just wag a finger and not just um, write off this part of the world, part of the culture that's not going anywhere. Uh, the book was about to go to print. And then the Super Mario Brothers movie came out. And it achieved the highest animated weekend opening of any animation film. So... It beat out Disney. It beat out Frozen 2 for like the most, um, the highest revenue that opening weekend. So a movie based on a video game holds the animation record. So, and I teared up like twice during that film. It was beautiful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nostalgia fest. The music is is wonderful. Um, my kids were a little, they hadn't gotten into Mario Kart yet. Now they fully are. So now they get all the references. But if first they're like, he eats mushrooms to get big 
and they drive go-karts. And I'm like, yes, it makes total sense. Yes, I mean, well, sure, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, it, my, our little seven, almost eight-year-old philosopher, she's looking at me like, this is weird. <laughs> just just roll with it. It'll make sense. Um, it's, it's Mario, Pikachu, Sonic the Hedgehog, these characters are recognized worldwide. And so I was waiting for someone else to write this book. No one was doing it. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And... Um, it was a delight to write and it's philosophy. It's John Paul two and super Mario put in a blender and I'm just getting good feedback from anecdotally from, um, parents who have read it from young people in their twenties and thirties who are reading it. Just speaking to that, like call to adventure, call to beauty, um, call to fellowship. Some people game for the online like community. I want to play with other people. Because it used to be like whoever was in my neighborhood, we'd get together. It's four player um, or like, again, among siblings and family members. Like this is how we're having fun together. Dan and I would shoot zombies whenever like we'd be home on college breaks was kind of we'd boot up a, a game. And that was some of the bonding where you're shoulder to shoulder doing this thing together. It used to be bowling leagues. And now it's these digital arenas where real conversations can happen. And yes, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of um, immaturity. There can be a lot of, like there, there can be negative elements to it, of course. But the book is largely an affirming resource of this topic. And um, I'm, I'm proud of the end, end product. It was fun to write. Both my wife and um, our mom was like, I cannot believe you wrote a book about video games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, and Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus. I'm I'm having a memory of when our family got our first Nintendo. I was elementary school and it was a really big deal. It was not like, oh, you want a Nintendo? Okay, let's go get it. Like, no, it was it was a quite a momentous occasion when we went to Walmart and we got the Nintendo. We were walking through the store to check out, and the kids in the store were like, oh, they've got a Nintendo. Okay, <laughs> they're getting one of those today. It was yes. And it has come out here recently, uh, and Kit, our, our boys, who are now 16 and 18, the eldest is a college freshman, he has been home recently for the holidays, and they were enjoying some games together, and I was thinking back to when they were little, and it was kind of a different... And anyway, I just... Having some of those memories as I as I hear you describe the book, and, and I'm so happy for you that it is off to such a great start and getting such a great reception. It, I would I would think... Um, I, I want, is there a bit of, I want to make this assumption. I'll just ask, are people surprised, especially young folks, are they surprised when they first hear the premise of your book? And then once they get through it or hear you describe it, they're like, oh, wow, that's not what I expected. They may be coming from more of a place of defensiveness. Like what, what are you going to take me to task for about that? Perhaps. I've gotten both and I've gotten more of like uh finally, Okay. Like, or you're putting towards what I've always thought, but never was able to convey okay. that there is beauty in this, like the storytelling. It's not just mindless escapism. You know, everyone will play games for different reasons. And whether that's Candy Crush or The Sims, um, whether that's Fortnite or like Zelda or these big RPG kind of games, there's a different why behind it. So it's also like, what what are you looking for? Are you looking for adventure? Are you looking for camaraderie? Are you looking just to escape with Tetris? You know, just waiting on the bus or waiting for your haircut. Like, um, and the funny thing is, I've also encountered a few people that you could tell like there's something there where they used to really enjoy video games, but they have shut that part of their life off. Because it's like, well, I can't be a disciple. I can't be a good Christian and enjoy this thing. And this this is almost like a, um, it's it's poking the bear on that assumption. Or a, a person just isn't, it's not their cup of tea. And they've just kind of from the outside seen it as like, this just rots your brains and this is going to, this is a waste of time, whatever. So, it, and I delight in in all of it. Like, let's, great, let's talk about that. Like, what's been your experience around video games? So I just really enjoy it as also like an icebreaker of sorts because everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got also, everyone also gets this big smile on their face when they think about like the first game you ever played because it just is this nostalgia triggering 
part of our our lives right now. Definitely. I saw a recent post of yours referring to playing Duck Hunt, and I was like, yeah, that we had that. I remember playing that. And I have the piano sheet music for the uh, Mario Brothers, some of their theme songs, and the, the underwater theme I like to roll out every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you say a bit more about that desire for adventure and how that kind of, how we can kind of draw from that um, to go deeper in our spirituality, our walk with God, those sorts of things? Yeah, for anyone listening who has kids or relatives, it's like if you don't play video games, someone you love does at this point in time. And one of the best questions you can ask is, what do you enjoy about that game? Okay. Because yeah, it, it validates this part of your life that you enjoy. That, again, any good thing can be taken to an extreme. And we can overdo sports or health and fitness or shopping or the virtual world. Like all of these things can become idols. And so... Uh, but to start with the footing of, hey, what do you love about uh, Minecraft? What do you love about Final Fantasy? Like start with that kind of affirmative. What is it you're looking for? And for some people, it's adventure. And I want to get lost. I want to explore. I want to create. And like, great, that's a good thing. Like you're drawn to beauty. Like, again, you mentioned the music, like they invested in like those first Mario games. They really invested in the music. Like these melodies need to not just, they matter, you know, and they have stood the test of time. Everyone knows the Mario theme, like, and hearing it in full orchestra and in, in a, in a movie was also like this, here we are, <laughs> we've arrived. Yeah. Um, you know, for some people it's, like as I said before, it's the fraternity aspect. Um, the community um, that's not just limited to my geography anymore. It's people around the world. For some people, it's, I just feel like I have a purpose. I have a mission. And if we have stripped God of the world, if we have taken a sense of like uh, purpose to the cosmos and you matter, if that's just kind of been stripped away and, and we're all just random atoms in a meaningless universe, well, video game developers know like, well, the player needs to feel like they're the hero. They want to battle good and evil. And if I'm not feeling fulfilled by that in the, the quote, real world, I will certainly seek it out in, in the digital where it feels like I can be the hero. My decisions do matter. I do have autonomy. So this is something that game developers have known for a long time. And I remember um, seeing the commercial years ago of this, of a PlayStation uh advertisement and it was all this chaos and it was dragons and car crashes and like this post-apocalyptic world and the hero is walking down the street and the tagline for the commercial says greatness awaits and we had pope benedict at that time and it was that attributed line to him um you know you were not made for um oh i just i just forgot it dan you can you help me out you're not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Yes. Um, which is kind of a paraphrasing of what he actually said. But still, it's that it was that like, yes, like we need more people. Parents, role models, clergy saying young people, you were made for greatness. You're not made just for leisure and mere comfort of the world. And it, I remember watching this commercial saying, wow, they get it. Like the human heart, the soul is meant to be challenged towards greatness. So that's something that absolutely is um, a bit of a carrot to draw people into the gaming world. It's like, yeah, be great. And my my response is yes, and also chase greatness here in the real world. Like you were meant, like that, that's that's kind of the breadcrumbs I have in the book. Is like, hey, yeah, you have an ache for beauty. Where does beauty come from? You have an ache for adventure. Like, did you realize like your life has a a vocation, like a purpose and a calling to it, and if there's a game, there's a game designer. And just to kind of, again, drop the breadcrumbs where, where a young or not so young person reading the book would be like, oh, I've never thought about that before. So in your work with with young folks, how how do you find it to go? I, I guess I'm wondering about how to pull out those themes in a way that is, uh, I guess I come across a bit preachy in a way, so or I'm concerned that I will. So uh, how do I kind of... I, 
I like the suggestion to to validate, to find to, that curiosity, like what is it that's attractive to you? What do you get from this? Um, to kind of then uh, point out parallels and outside of the gaming world, um, opportunities in real life to serve others or to be the hero or to things like that. I'm not quite sure if this is a coherent question just yet. It's a the transition from away from video game, video game time to other things in life that are, which is not to say there's no time for that, but the balance of that that time versus the other things of of living. There's a question in there. There is there. a <laughs> like um how no I, I yeah. it's 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 the call to be integrated. There it you is. Can have, okay, yeah. Yeah, you can have one foot on the shore, and enjoy, like, be anchored in our body and soul reality. And um, I drew upon the example like during COVID, we had the like mass online, which was helpful to keep us in touch with one another and the calendar year. But there was a sense of like, it's not enough. Like we need to receive the Eucharist in person. Like I can't just do church online. Um, and so to have one foot in like the digital space and you can enjoy this stuff, but also be anchored back in like, okay, but, but now it's time to turn it off and now it's time to engage with the world and, and for our children and like they haven't developed self-discipline yet. So it is still the role of the parents in some sense to be the bad guy, to say like, okay, it's time to to turn it off. And, but then to put the opportunities, like again, to not just demonize the medium, uh, but to say, hey, like, let's watch a movie together. Let's let's read this book together. Let's go out in in nature. Let's go hiking. Let's go serve. So in the sixth chapter of the book, I do get into some of the pitfalls of are games addictive? Do they make us violent? Like, what are some of the the negatives here? But then the last three chapters are that call to integration and to use the digital media for good. I land on Blessed Carlo Acutis's story and how he is Italian um, millennial who died in 2005, 2006 from aggressive leukemia is now on the way to sainthood. He coded he played video games. He loved Pikachu. And he also knew when to turn it off, when to go serve the poor. Um, he made like daily mass. So it's the both end can be achieved. And I think every family just has to discern what are our rules? How do we keep the balance? And um, yeah, and, and be not afraid. You know, be not afraid of, of it. And, and like I said, also to have those hard conversations at times we could go on and on, but that's, I want to bring Dan back into it as well. Cause we both grew up in a house where the games were allowed and we're also kind of regulated in the sense of like, you get your homework done and you do your, your sports and you get like, we go to mass and then all these other things you get, done and then the gaming is like a cherry on top yeah that's interesting i'm curious about your formative years you guys grew up going up in the same household and and the somewhat similar experiences that you've had each individually your discernment processes and and how you both continue to serve the church I've, i'd love for you guys to to expound on that and tell us about how you felt what you looking back now where you are looking back upon your um your family of origin that kind of helped lay the groundwork for that or, and made it and made it such that you would consider that and then go move forward with it. What do you think, Dan? Do you want to start with? <laughs> sure. I would say one of the main things was just like the consistency of it all for one thing. I mean, you know, um, we grew up going to Catholic school from kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, so you know, that foundation of sending us to a Catholic school and getting, um, you know, some of the, the basic education there when it comes to our faith, you know, daily mass was a given praying before meals. So just that consistency of faith in our life and just the, the faithfulness to that, I think set a wonderful foundation for us. And then both of us, when we got to high school, uh, the encouragement to attend youth group and, um, just always been supportive when it came to that of, um, you know, diving deeper into our faith and, um, 
you know, when it jumping ahead and we can go back to when Bob chimes in, but, you know, going ahead to, to college, we both were able to dive kind of head first into our campus ministries, the Catholic campus ministries that at our respective schools that we had. And throughout it, I think through the process of then learning more about vocation and discernment and all of that, um, you know, as we were going through and learning about it, I think our parents were as well. You know, I don't think they were necessarily formed in that same language of discernment and, um, you know, how to go about that and everything, but they were always trusting of us and supportive of us that, you know, we had our head on our shoulders and, you know, that we, we know what we're doing. We're following the Lord and, um, you know, whether that be going in or out of seminary, once, twice, you know. Um, so I, I think that that consistency there, that faithfulness and um, that trust in who they have formed us to be as well as men. So. Yeah. There was there was freedom and not just license, but like a respect for you guys need to make your own choices. My dad's, our dad's saying is that, um, you know, the as a parent, you, you pave the road as best you can and then you, you give your child the freedom to walk it which is hard it's hard to let go it's hard to entrust your kids with a, a long leash um and i think we just saw it lived we just saw our parents mm -hmm. that yeah like sunday mass was not an option but it also the faith wasn't like shoved down our throats because we could, like I said, enjoy video games, enjoy sports, enjoy friendships. So it wasn't like a sheltered childhood. It just like the faith was part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And um, as we hit high school years and we really got rocked by a dynamic youth ministry program, it went from following the rules. This is a good moral way to live. To like this is real. God is real. And it's like, this is something to be joyful about and give your life to. And we went to different colleges, but both Dan and I, yeah, went headfirst into our like Newman centers and separately both discerned a calling to the priesthood. So for a while, our parents were facing <laughs> the, the process, the prospect of two celibate children, no, no, no grandchildren. <laughs> And now it's swung the other way to where they've got about eight, right? In April, it'll be eight. Yeah. April <laughs> when be we eight. have our third. Yep. Yeah. So they've gone from like silence to lots of noise when we all <laughs> are in the same household. <laughs> yep. um, but the, the beauty of, yeah, of the surrender of that, I was trying to think like what, yeah, because my, our parents will get that question. Like, what did you do? Like, how did you? What did you do with your kids that they stayed in the faith and they were both considering the priesthood? Like they're all in, like they both separately have worked in campus ministry and teaching settings. I was in California at an all boys school for a number of years uh, before going full time ministry here with my wife now. And Dan is now with Colby Academy. And so it's been beautiful parallels that were very much unplanned. We didn't have, we didn't sit down, Dan and I and have like a master <laughs> planning meeting of how we're going to go to seminary year. this year right yeah <laughs> that's really screw with mom and dad this year yeah. um it just yeah in god's comedy and sense of humor and our, again our parents like surrender and their own like growth in the faith too yeah because and the humility yeah that they possess as well because like bob said whenever they get asked you know like what did you do it's always the answer is always like, we didn't do anything, you know, it's, it's not us, it's the Lord. Um, so yeah, it's very much seeing their example as a, you know, good, faithful, married couple and loving each other, providing for each other and for us. And yeah, everything that we've been saying that trust and that, that freedom, you know, in that healthy boundaries, you know, at the same time, but, um, see, seeing us grow and progress. And as Bob was getting to right, seeing their, growth in the faith as well. I think when they really saw us, particularly in college, I think both get much deeper and have that personal aspect to our faith. Um, you know, you're not under your parents' roof anymore, but we're still choosing to to go to mass and to go to these campus ministries and eventually seminary that we 
very noticeably saw them as well get deeper into their faith and you know become eucharistic ministers and part of the hospitality and you know on and on you know we've seen them get involved uh to a deeper degree in their faith as well sounds like that integration again yeah yeah so yeah that that word was coming up too yeah that seems like you're talking about things which for some parents i mean that sounds kind of scary going off to a state school in in florida there or whatever but it seems like they put you they helped you to put things in that right perspective like i think you were talking about bobby like with video games before you know knowing you know where do they fit in but it sounds like in your family life that was built in to some to a large extent it sounds like it relates to that yeah, we both went to public high school after K through eighth Catholic school. And my mom cried dropping me off at school freshman year because walking by was some guy with like a mohawk and a girl with like blue hair and piercings. And my mom was like, what have I done? <laughs> but it's that like, honestly, like those years, the, the little years are some of the most formative, the most important to like for secure footing. And once that foundation's built, it's like, okay, like I trusted you to start interacting with the world and, and meeting people of all sorts of different backgrounds. And, and I'm here for any questions you have for any of the conversations, like as parents to be here, to be the experts in the room, so to speak, that our kids know they can come to us with questions is going to be so vital as it's such a different landscape than when we were going through school so that the challenges are new and yet at the same time it is the same strategy of like mother Teresa said if you want world peace go home and love your family and every family's got like i said earlier has to discern how are we handling um technology how are we handling just like the friends and what's what are we saying yes to what activities are we saying no to like so that the family can be fostered and it's easier said than done. I know. Yeah. I think, I think that aspect as you were saying that, you know, we always knew that they were there, you know, whatever questions or difficulties or struggles, because obviously it, you know, not as nice as maybe it sounds to the listener out there, you know, like we all of course had our own struggles and arguments and everything else, but you know, my, just to our know, parents, know our parents knew uh, the mood I was in based on what music was like blasting music. out of the bedroom. <laughs> like, oh, he's in a funk again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we got 90s, 90s grunge on. We're in trouble. <laughs> well, Dan, drawing on, on all your youth ministry experience and the discernment that you entered into and, and continue as, you know, even to, to, to today, how do you see that all of that impacting you're teaching now? I think a lot of what I was saying before, and I was kind of pondering this before, um, yeah, between all the discernment and the youth ministry and the teaching, and even within seminary, all the different kind of pastoral assignments that you have of, you know, either teaching CCD or working at homeless shelter, you know, going to the hospital and ministering there, you know, you have such a range of um, those ministerial experiences. And um, I think that, yeah, that one of that biggest threads is again, that, that authenticity and kind of intentionality behind it all of, um, and the relationality of, again, just, you know, being there, walking with whoever it might be again, whatever of that situation. But again, from the majority of the, my experience being with middle schoolers and high schoolers throughout that youth ministry and teaching you know fifth year in the teaching now um of yeah just being able to to walk that line and to to journey with um the students then you know in, in a particular way and again not just the teacher students uh kind of relationship there but um that that great sense of accompaniment um yeah yeah how are you finding that to go in the online context? Do you get folks asking like, how are you able to do that teaching online? I think I ask myself that a lot. Because okay. <laughs> it, it is it is a big change, especially with high school theology at Colby. We have classes once a week. Um, so I'm used to, you know, back at my other school, you know, having them every day for 50 minutes. And 
um, you know, a lot of that time, you know, being with the students each and every day was essential. Um, but there was a lot of time that, you know, I want to say was wasted, but uh, it's been an interesting, you know, mentality and shift to shift from seeing them every day to, you know, seeing them once a week or, and, you know, the faculty and staff at Colby say it all the time of just how impressive our students are and everything else. So, uh, but to really kind of like chime in with that again, it, I have been so impressed with just, you know, especially by senior year theology and all the reading that they're expected to do. And this whole second semester in morality is just solely reading church documents and cyclicals and um, everything else. So it's not the easiest assignments that they do, but they show up to class and they've done the reading and they comprehend so much and they ask such great questions. So it just makes my, my job as a teacher so, so easy and so fun uh, to be able to, to be there with them and, uh, you know, continue to answer their questions and tie those threads of what they've been learning throughout their, you know, whole education up to this point. And um, again, in a special way in morality, be able to apply it to their daily lives in so many ways of what they're experiencing and struggling with. Um, so it, it has been a pretty big shift to go from, you know, in-person day in and day out to this online platform. But it is pretty incredible how well you can get to know your students, even in the midst of that. Um, so, you know, still figuring out a lot, still just my first year in here, but um, it, it has been a joy and the students have just made it so easy in that regard. It's really putting a lot of that together with me with the conversations about video gaming before, because as you were talking about, like yeah. people used to go out bowling and things together. Um, you know, my mother still goes out regularly with friends that she's had from fifth grade, you know, it, and she's a long way removed from fifth grade, but that doesn't happen starting, at least starting with my generation back in rural Wisconsin, nobody stays in the same, or very few people stay in the same area. We're all over the place. So my interactions with friends that I've built up over the years, I don't do a ton of video gaming. I tend to do more role-playing games, but we get together online and we've only got one, a couple hours every week to kind of connect and, and, Colby online classes, it's a similar sort of thing. How you know the ability to utilize that technology, but to try to make real friendships and connections. So maybe they go together. You get practice playing computer games and then come to your Colby classes. I'm not not exactly sure, but which is why it's this kind of exciting, messy time we're in, where there's a lot of problems. Like Carlo Acuta said, the internet is, is an atomic bomb for good just as much as it's an atomic bomb for bad. Um, this like kind of messiness of like to say online friendships aren't real friendships. It's like, well, not really. It's not true. We, and we don't have like the words yet to encompass it. Of, like they can be real. Like they can be real. Like I'm getting to know this person, even though we've never been in the same town. I have no idea how tall this person actually is like these dynamics that we're starting off on a different foot, it doesn't mean they're not, not real. And to just one last point on that, like the incarnation aspect too, of how as human beings, we are at the end of the day meant for the physical and the real. I know streamers that they have contacts around the world, but if they're in a particular city, there's a desire to meet up. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm in Detroit. I'm doing a meetup here. Like there is something that like these friendships that we've fostered online, thanks be to God, we have the technology, but it's, it still isn't enough. Like the same thing with the Eucharist, like I, I have to be in person, I have to receive it. And so awesome. We have this digit, these digital tools, but it's still like, I would love to see you in person. Like, cause that is somehow like the most human, uh, at the end of the day, we crave it. We need it. And I, I think that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, that always comes through with some of our Colby gatherings, even with employees, because we work all remotely as well. But when we get a chance to get together, I, even for myself, who is, is I'm as introverted as you can as you can find, and just cringe every time my phone rings. I don't really want to pick it up at all. But <laughs> it's so exciting to to get in front of them and. Well, I, I love that you say we don't know how tall you are because we're all on camera. But it's like, wow, you're 
you're tall you're or, or not but it's so exciting just to even for the for me as the biggest introvert to just kind of get together in that natural situation like you said so I know our Colby students and families are always telling us, give us more opportunities for this. It's just hard to do because we're so scattered, but, but uh, it's, it's needed. Yeah. I think that's also true. And even just like that aspect of the meetups that you were talking about um, and kind of the, yeah, the necessity for that a lot of times. And you see that all over. And again, I think in our recent day, day and age, that's gotten, you know, so much more, prevalent just how much we all had to retreat online for a while and uh but i've recently got kind of more and more into running um so i listen to different running podcasts and everything and it's the same thing with that like there's whenever there's races around there's all meetups of people who all listen to this or a part of this community like you know let's get together and run together there um and i think that that kind of speaks to also you know those of us who grow closer together even through online it's having that same goal in mind and that same kind of desire. Um, so I think in a particular way for our Colby students, you know, who are all, um, you know, seeking holiness and seeking sanctity and, you know, wanting to learn and grow more about it, that they are able to foster those true friendships, right? Again, it's not just that stigma of it's my online friend, right? But I think there can be that depth there because we do have that same goal in mind. And one of my classes in particular, it's uh, a smaller class that I have. There's only like 10 students. Um, but I was so kind of pleased to see that when like a lot of them have had classes together before. So immediately from day one, they're like the banter that they have with each other, whether it be when they come on the mic or just through the chat, like it's very evident that, oh, like they know each other, they're friends already. Um, so it's, it's so great to see that, that, that can, those true friendships can be fostered and how beautiful that can be. Dan, how many marathons have you run? Uh, five. I just ran my fifth one now. It's not so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things, either you love it or you hate it. So for whatever reason, um, yes, I have found a love and a passion for it. So. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> I did a half marathon in college and I said, I will never run this far again. <laughs> and what, one of the things Dan and I differ on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of bringing up the, I mean, the things of building those relationships though. Like I know the Colby students who, who've never met each other, they get so excited again when they can, but going through hard things that have, you have a good end in mind. But the difficulties, the challenges in walking through those together really kind of forms those bonds. So I can see it like running. I can see when you say these meetups that, I mean, all of you are doing really hard things that you you enjoy, but they're hard and you're doing the same things. Or, you know, even those challenges of gaming or, or whatever, where you're overcoming things and you're working as a team and but, you know, even that's more recreation than obstacles of overcoming a marathon, I realize. But it, it seems like those are the the seeds to to form really good friendships, especially when they're based on these underlying really good ends of the Colby students who are trying to pursue the, the true and the good here. But, uh, yeah, it's great seeds for friendship. Well, as we're coming to the end of our time together, I'm wondering if you all have any final thoughts or takeaways to leave with our listeners. Dan, how about we start with you? Uh, to to kind of bring in the morality uh, to it all and everything. I mean, it's obviously engrossed in all the conversation we've been having, but uh, it's just this one particular one came to mind that we've talked about in class recently. I think it's number 310, uh, talking about that with infinite wisdom and goodness, God freely willed to create a world in a state of journeying towards its ultimate perfection. Um, so I think that really underlines a lot of what we've been saying, whether it be kind of, um, you know, this, this recent conversation about kind of the friendships and fostering that um, with the same, same goal in mind when it comes to our, our schooling and academics at Colby whether it be the aspect of gaming, of, of running, of anything else, right? That we've been created in this state of journey and the world and us as human beings. And to kind of have that in mind as we go throughout, again, wherever kind of our passions lie, uh, 
but that that ultimate end and ultimate perfection that we're seeking is obviously that union with God. Um, so to bring that in, all we do, and um, again, kind of finally to tie in that even that parent and, and child relationship in there as well, um, you know, that if we can can kind of trust that our children are journeying in that direction, right, that we can give them that freedom um, to continue on that journey, right, and to, to be there and journey with, alongside them. Beautiful. What do you think, Bobby? I can't follow that. That was <laughs> that was way too eloquent. <laughs> Journey is the the name of this indie video game that won all these different awards that I document in Gaming in the Heroic Life by Ave Maria Press. <laughs> um, shameless, shameless self uh, promotion here. Uh, I will say I wrote the book for families and for young people. So it's pretty easy reading level. And I, the original title was Virtue in Video Games because I wanted it to be kind of for like a high school curriculum, like applying to morality and virtue and how do video games, even like games that have morality meters, like they mm -hmm. the, the game changes based on how you behave. Where does that come from? Hmm. So we may have thrown God out of society, but there's still these like fingerprints all over which include hey where does morality come from is there objective good and evil and if so like okay how do we judge that so keep asking questions keep journeying i love it yes okay listeners check out the show notes for this episode for links to bobby's book gaming in the heroic life as well as the colby cast episodes i mentioned earlier and those that have come up in the course of conversation that are relevant to the our topics today um, also we have a listener survey out we'd love to hear your thoughts on on the colby cast and and what you like about it and what you would like to hear from us on the colby cast so we will put the link to that survey in our show notes as well uh, we'd be so grateful for your ratings and reviews and the podcast app you use to subscribe to us and hint if you are not yet subscribed to this podcast on the Colby website, colby.org slash podcast. We have filters in place for our many Colby cast episodes where you can sort, sort by those filters to find more episodes um, according to your particular interests that we have in place there. So check that out as well. All right, Bobby and Dan Angel, what a real gift to get to visit with you all today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, St. Ignatius of Loyola, Holy Saints and Angels, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam. <laughs>